The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verse 6 through 9 is where we'll be focusing our time. I want to thank David Stanley for filling in for me last week because I was gone on vacation. I've decided that didn't count as vacation because there was about 20 church members with me. So it was ministry, actually. So that didn't count as days. But one of them came after service on Sunday. I said, how'd David do? So he did good. He preached for 25 minutes. You should try it sometime. <laughs> okay. I was looking for something maybe a little more deep, but that's what I got. So I do want to start off in reading Galatians chapter 3, verse 1 through 5, where David was to help me uh, catapult into verses 6 through 9 where we'll look. So follow with me in verse one, if you would. It says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? See, Paul is continuing on talking about the importance of understanding that salvation and justification come through grace through the work of the cross, of what Christ has done, nothing that we have done. And so he's continuing this argument and trying to talk to them now about faith. And he's getting ready to dive into Abraham, which we're going to look at more in depth this morning. And one of the things that we see in verse 1 through 5 is Paul really sets up this, this scenario of being a Christian versus being a Christian moralist. Just living a good Christian moral life versus what it really means to be a Christian. And the problem is, is people start to think when you, when you talk this way, when you, when you share this, they start to say, well, then what you're saying is God doesn't care about what you do then. It doesn't care how you act or how you behave. And no, that's not true at all. Uh, we, we see in the whole scope of Scripture that when God saves us by His grace that we're called to live a life worthy of the calling that He has called us to. And so we strive to serve Him. We, we strive to be kind and to be good and to have the fruits of the Spirit in our lives and that people can see that. That is all true. That, that cannot be stated any other way. It must be. But the problem is, is a lot of people put the cart before the horse, so to speak. And they try to start doing those things without ever really having a relationship with the Lord. And then it starts to become me adding to this or, or me, me doing this for my justification or me doing this for my salvation. And so Paul is saying, no, how did you hear? It was, it was faith that you were saved by. It was that faith by, by hearing what Christ had done and, and through faith, you, you hadn't done anything yet, Galatians, right? You, you hadn't done a thing. And so Paul actually uses some strong language two times, calls them foolish. How foolish is that to go back? Don't do that. And so to explain himself further, 
So we're going to see Paul start talking about Abraham. And the reason he does this is to deal with the Judaizers who are present among them. Because there is no doubt that what the Judaizers were doing is they were appealing to Abraham and they were appealing to the law and they were appealing to some of the covenants that God had made with Abraham and with Moses in the law. And so they were saying in order to be justified, one must be circumcised. Now, I've been saying that a lot as we've been going through Genesis, and I want to share with you where that comes from in Scripture this morning. And so if you can, flip with me, keep your hand in Galatians, but go to Genesis chapter 17. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 17 a little bit this morning before we dive into verses 6 through 9. So we can get an understanding of what the Judaizers were saying. Genesis chapter 17, I'm going to read verses 1 through 14. It's kind of a long section, but it needs to be read. It says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but you shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Now, again, the reason that I read this is because I would dare say that the Judaizers would have read this to the Galatians, that they would have appealed to Scripture to say, see, if you really want to be a part of God's family, then this is a must. This must happen. Circumcision must be done. The problem, though, that we face, and we face in many <laughs> of churches today, or as you listen to many different preachers and teachers, is this is called proof texting. If you know what proof texting is at all, proof texting is just taking a, a passage and ripping it out to prove your point. To prove your point. It, it negates everything else in all of Scripture. Everything that came before it, everything that came after it, just to prove your point. So we see this with all different kinds of people. I've ran into people who don't eat meat, and they appeal to Scripture They'll pull some verse out in the Old Testament. See, this is what it says. Well, you're negating the rest of Scripture when you're trying to prove your point. This is called proof texting. And this shows us the importance of actually studying the Bible. 
studying all of it, studying the passages in the context, understanding the Bible as a whole, understanding from beginning to end the purpose and the point of what God is trying to say to us and to tell us because it helps us to avoid proof texting. And that's what these Judaizers were doing. And this is what Paul is about to share with them. He's going to show the error in just appealing to this passage in Genesis chapter 17. And the way that he's going to do it is he is going to appeal to Genesis chapter 12 and also to Genesis chapter 15. So he's saying, you're looking at Genesis chapter 17 and saying the reason that Abraham was chosen by God was because he is circumcised. But what Paul is going to show is he's going to show actually Abraham was chosen by God before any of that was even mentioned. He was given the righteousness of God before Abraham did anything. And so we're going to see that with Paul as we go through Galatians chapter 3, verse 6 through 9. And we're simply just going to take it a verse at a time this morning. So let's read it all and then we'll look at verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. I really do think this would be a very confusing passage if you just read it on your own and then tried to walk away to figure out what it said. But there is a lot of truth in here for us this morning And it's something for us to hold to. And I hope that you see the relevancy of it as we go through it. But first, in verse 6, I want to share with you a word. It's a word that I shared with you before. It's been probably a couple years now. But it's imputed. Imputed. That God has imputed Christ's righteousness into our life. And we see this in verse 6. In verse 6, Paul quotes Genesis chapter 15, verse 5, and saying, Believed God... And it was, it was counted to him as righteousness. Now again, you've got to note, this is before circumcision. This is before anything that Abraham had done. He had not proven himself. Nothing like that had happened. And in Genesis chapter 15, it says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. This is important. So what's happening here in this statement? What, what is taking place? And I want us to understand this morning, something huge is taking place here. By believing God, and it was accounted to him, his righteousness. This is called imputed righteousness, as I mentioned before. It's the fact that we are credited with Jesus's righteousness through faith. Now, our faith doesn't give us righteousness. Our faith is the avenue that now we have Christ's righteousness, But this is a work of God. Now, this gets twisted, and I want to share with you. This might get a little deep, I guess, and I apologize for that if it's too much. But I think this is important for us, especially today, because there's a a few different ways that this is talked about. There is imputed righteousness, which I just mentioned to you. But there's also something called imparted righteousness that people will teach and that people will, will preach. Now, what imparted righteousness is, is that you receive God's uh, righteousness through Christ, imputed. But then, after that, you start in a journey of growing in the Lord, growing in Christ, and God imparts on you more and more righteousness. 
Now, what oftentimes goes with this is the thought that you can become sinless in this life, that you can get to the point to where God will have imparted all of it to you. Now, I don't agree with that. I don't find that in Scripture. It's actually quite funny. I don't know if Cameron mentioned this in his sermon last night, but they use a passage that he preached from to prove that. I'm guessing he didn't say that in his message because I don't believe that to be true. But now here's the one that is the most dangerous, and this is called infused righteousness. So please listen with me here. This is, this is very prevalent where we live. Infused righteousness is taught on many a street corner where we live right now. And what it is, is it's saying, God doesn't impute his righteousness to you. He kind of blends yours and his together. And that's what brings salvation. And so uh, the main church who teaches this is the Roman Catholic Church. And so you must partake in communion. You must partake in the mass. You must partake in penance. You must partake in the, all of the sacraments. And as you do that, your righteousness is then becoming infused with Christ's righteousness. And thus you are saved. See, there's a big problem with that. That doesn't mean Christ alone anymore. That doesn't mean saved by grace anymore. It means, well, grace and Christ is kind of good, but I've got to step up here. I've got to step up to the plate, and I've got to do more. And so, man, that just leaves a heavy burden on my shoulders. That takes away that grace that Christ has given us. In Romans chapter 4, verse 20 through 25, Paul speaks to this even more. He says, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. He's talking of Abraham. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses, and raised for our justification. So Paul is saying it, it, was, it was that faith that Abraham had that connected him to God's justification, to God's righteousness. And the good news is it wasn't just for Abraham alone, but it's for us as well who believe. I'll try to give you some sort of an analogy to how exciting this really is. I don't know if any of you use ATM machines at all. If you have that little magic card that you stick in the machine, and you punch in a dollar amount, and you hope that much comes out. That's the goal. That's the plan. Now imagine if you go to the ATM machine, and you put your card in, and it, what is my balance? And it just says, infinity. I don't know your personality. I don't know how you are. You might say, then everything you can give me right away. Now some of you might investigate. Wait a second. I don't believe this to be true. And you're going to say, nope, I got to go to the bank. I, I got to get online. I, I got to see what's happening here. And you check. You, you check everywhere. You go to the teller. You go, you go to the manager and you say, my, my account says I have an unlimited amount of funds. Is this true? Yeah, it's true. How? How, how did that happen? How, how did that take place? And it says, well, it just says here that somebody credited your account infinity. Well, 
I mean, for me, I would say, wait, this is a joke, right? This isn't, this isn't real. No, I'm not going to take any, any of this out. We've, we've got to get down to it. But, but if I kept going through it and I saw, no, this is real. Imagine the excitement. Imagine the pleasure, right? Uh, imagine the joy that you would have to know that no longer do I have to worry about any of these expenses, I don't have to worry about, am I going to be able to pay my bill? I don't have to worry about, am I going to get to eat? I don't have to worry about, can my kids go to school or, or to college? I don't have to have those worries anymore. They're, they're no longer there. Now listen, that's talking about money, which means nothing. What, what we have as believers through faith, not of us, but we have infinity righteousness. Because we have been credited Christ's righteousness. The perfect spotless lamb who died on the cross for your sins and for for my sins. And when I believe in that by faith, it says fully credited, 100%. Tim, you don't have to worry about it anymore. It's not about your church attendance anymore. It's not about how moral that you can be. It's not about any of that. It's about him and what he has done for you. Now, obviously, obviously, knowing what he has done, I want to serve him. I want to honor him. I, I want to be the best that I can possibly be for him, for, for his glory, because of what he has done for me. That's what it means that Christ has imputed his righteousness for you in your life, if by faith you will believe. But then we get to verse 7, and it says, Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Again, in Romans, Romans chapter 4, verse 13 to 16, it says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law... There is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. We see here in verse 7 and there in Romans chapter 4, verse 13 through 16, that we are adopted into Christ's family, that we become a part of Christ's family because Abraham is our father. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this, but over half of the world claims Abraham as their father. Over half the world. I mean, statistics, you might find something that says 47% or something like that, but it's all over. Right around half of the world. The Jewish population claims Abraham as their father. Christians, we claim Abraham as our father. Muslims, they claim Abraham as their father. In Genesis we see that Abraham was promised a son, and he kind of struggled with that a little bit with faith. And so him and his wife came up with a plan, and Abraham had a son uh, with his handmaid, and they named him Ishmael. Now, this is the line that the Muslims say they are a part of, that this is why Abraham is their father. But we see in Genesis chapter 21, verse 12, I'm not going to read it for you, but you can look, that God says, no, Isaac is the promised seed. Isaac is the one that I have chosen, not Ishmael. And so it is through Isaac that we see the lineage of the Jews. But they all claim it. 
And we ask, why is it so important that Abraham be their father? Well, it's because we are told in Genesis that those who are of Abraham are God's people. They're God's people. Now, I don't have to share with you this morning all the problems that this has led to in our world. It's constant. And it all stems back to this. Who really is Abraham's children? Well, as we see here in verse 7 and also in Romans chapter 4, if I just read, the only way to be a part of Abraham's family is through faith. It's through faith. It's to be imputed the righteousness of Christ through faith. We are justified by Christ. We are given his righteousness. And as a result, we are a part of his family. And as a part of his family, we are thus heirs to the promises that God made to Abraham, which we'll get to when we look at verse 9. But then go with me to verse 8. Verse 8 says in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. In verse 8, what I hope that we see is that God's family is a very multi-ethnic family. And this was the plan from the very beginning. It wasn't just going to be a bloodline. It wasn't going to be something that just one family could hold on to. No, it was going to be for all nations and for all people. And scripture here does not contradict itself. And that's part of the problem with proof texting, as I talked about before. They'll say, man, back in the Old Testament, you were saved by your works, by obeying the law, and now it's through faith. No. No. From the very beginning, it's always been faith. It's always been faith that has saved. Even for the Old Testament believers, it has been faith the whole time. And this has been God's plan from the very beginning. It's the, it's the same plan. It's the plan that he has always had, and it will never change. And in that plan is all the nations, all tribes, all tongues we see. This seems to be an extremely hot-button topic today. It's not my goal ever, really, to be political, and I don't want it to seem that way today either. But this is something that we as Christians must fight for. The fact that God's people are a multi-ethnic people. We do not get clicky. We do not start to claim that, well, our Christian faith is an English faith. No, it's not. It didn't start that way. It's not going to end that way. We have nothing to hold to or claim to with that. Well, our Christian faith is white. No, it's not. You're in the minority there. Just to let you know, you're not the majority when it comes to Christian faith and the color of our skin. No, God all along has planned all these people that I created. They are mine, and they will be saved through Christ. That's why we have in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, the Great Commission. It says, go therefore and make disciples of what? All nations. All nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You see, tomorrow, in less than 24 hours, I'll get on a plane to go to Panama. And if this wasn't true, why would I go? What's the purpose of leaving my family for 10 days? What's the purpose of leaving all of you for 10 days? If God's call isn't to everybody, to all people, we don't have a stranglehold on this. And listen, it takes work. It takes work to make sure that we are being faithful to do our best to reach the tribes and the nations. 
When, I, when we go over there uh, to Panama very shortly, there, there's a big barrier, language. And so to prepare myself, I, I've tried to study a little bit of the language. I try to find apps on my phone, Google Translate, so that when they're staring at me like, you're an idiot, I'm, yes, I am. And okay, boom, boom, let me type it in. Hopefully this says what you think it says. And it's really hard to communicate to people that way. But do you know why we do that? Because God loves them as well. I don't have a stranglehold on God. God hasn't called me just to go talk to people that it's easy to talk to. He hasn't called me just to go try to reach people who will be happy to see me or who look like me or just people who might make me comfortable. No. He says as Christians, we're called to reach the nations. And this has been the plan from the get-go. All the way back to Abraham. When God would call Abraham, he would say, you will, be, you will have many descendants, many nations will come from you. And we see that it is through faith. And we must go and tell others, it is through faith that you are saved. Believe on him, believe in Christ and what he has done for you to forgive you of your sins. And you too can be saved. You too can receive the righteousness of Christ in your life. What good news we have to go and give. How sad it is when we hold it. Because then in verse 9 it says, So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Now again, you've got to understand all of Scripture to understand why do I care in the world if I have the blessing of Abraham? He lived a long time ago. Has no effect on me. So what is this blessing? Well, as we look in Scripture and as we try to pour through it, as we try to study it the best that we can, what we see happening at the very beginning in Genesis is Abraham is called by God, and what God is doing there is not by happen chance. It's not by mistake. But what God is doing is he is dealing with the problems that occurred in Genesis chapter 3 through Genesis chapter 11. That problem is sin. And so as we get to Genesis chapter 12, what we see is we see God has started the process of restoring everything. And what we know is happening here with Abraham, what God is promising Abraham is he is promising restoration. He is promising to fix everything that has gone astray because of sin and the sin of man. And so what we see here in these passages is that it is through faith that God has included us into his family, that God has restored our lives. And it started a long time ago. It started before you could ever do anything. It started before you could get any cred as a Christian. We're promised this blessing that Abraham was promised to be a part of God's family because of faith. Most of you, I would dare say in here, have a family. Married, or you have kids, or you have a mom and dad, or you have aunts and uncles. You have some sort of family, but there's others you don't. You don't. Or maybe you've, you've moved away from family. You don't, you don't have contact with them too much. You can't because of distance. You can't because of these things. Now, for those of us who have family, we take that for granted very often. And we start to lose the blessing of having a family, a good family who loves us and who cares about us. And if you have that, you should be very thankful that God has given you that. 
But beyond that, above that, the promise that we have been given in Scripture is that through faith, we can be adopted into God's family. We get to be a part of, of his family. Now, again, I don't know how you feel about your family. You, you might not like it that much. I, I, have a, I have a good family, and I think about my family and the blessings of it. it it's great. But no offense to my family. <laughs> they can't even come close to touching the fact that I get to be a part of God's family. Because the blessing of being a part of God's family is also, it says, I become an heir to the promises. Now, being an heir in my family, my, my personal family, means diddly squat. I don't know about you. It doesn't mean much. I might get a Jeep out of the ordeal if he passes quickly. But if he lasts long, it's going to be rusty and I don't want it anyways. But that's it. But I want you to think honestly, as children of God, being accepted into God's family, being poured out God's grace, we become heirs of his. Now, the question that I would ask youth is, what does that mean? What does God own? He owns everything. Everything is his. He's the creator of all things, and he's promised to recreate this back to its former glory without sin. And he's promised me because of what he has done for me, because Christ has given me his righteousness. The other promise that goes with me is this. That's all mine too. That's all mine too. Oh, I might never get a thing in this world. I might never have anything. For all I know, all my family could disappear. I could be left here with nothing. No money. Everybody abandoned me. But the promise that's given to me in Scripture, the promise that's given to me by God is that when I'm a part of his family, adopted into his family, he never leaves me. He never forsakes me. There's nothing that can touch him. There's nothing that can remove him from my life. There is no other being that can go and and destroy him or, or take him away. Death cannot touch him. Famine, no matter what, no matter what it is, nothing can touch God. And so nothing can separate me from my family, the family that God has given me, the family that God has adopted me into. And so this morning, if you've been saved by the grace of God, you should praise him knowing you're a part of his family. You are, you are his. And so we strive to serve him. We strive to honor him. We want to make our dad proud. We want to serve him. We want to humble ourselves so that it's no longer me, but it's all about him. You know, when we walk into this place, every, every Sunday it's the same. It's the same every single Sunday. The first song we sing stinks every time. You know that? It's horrible every time. And it's not because the song stinks. It's not because the word stinks. It's because we stink. We come in here, and I feel like I have to prod you. I feel like I got to, do you guys know who you are? Do you know what we're doing today? Do you know why we've assembled here? Are you ready? Are, are you prepared? You know, are you, are you ready to sing? Are, are you ready to praise him? You see, we prepare all the time for all sorts of things, but I think we forget to praise God that he's allowed us into his family. You know, this week going on vacation with my family, do you know how much that took to prepare for that? A year in advance, you got to buy the place. And then you've got to pack and you've got to buy food and you got to plan out dinners if you're going to do that and bring everything. I mean, I've got a van that fits a thousand people 
And it was jam-packed. I mean, it took forever to plan. And then tomorrow I leave, and so trying to plan for that and to, to prepare for that. And on Sunday, I get to come, and I get to worship God with the family that he has given me and adopted me into here, you guys. And I should be ready for that. I should be ready to worship him. I should be ready to praise him and honor him because why in the world would God let me be a part of his family? I don't deserve that. You don't deserve that. But praise be to God. He's let us in. He's called us his own. And you and I are heirs to a promise through faith, not of anything we've done, but because of faith. And that promise remains still today. And so as a family, I hope we're doing our best to share with others about the goodness of this family. I'm not talking about MNBC, but the goodness of being a part of God's family. We don't want a small family. We want a big family. We want to share the gospel with people and we want to see our father do like he did last night in the life of Jerry Reidner. In the midst of death, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of hurt and in the midst of pain, with no hope at all, God grabs a hold of him and says, you're mine. You're mine. You're in my family. And all this world has nothing to give you anymore but death, but hurt. But you're an heir. And soon, oh, you're going to see. Soon you're going to get everything. What a good God we serve. What a good God that deserves our worship, that deserves our praise. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.